This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I talk with Sean Bliznick. We talk about his journey to Disney and effective leadership and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did having the conversation with Sean Bliznick. Enjoy. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe. And today with me on the phone is Sean Bliznick. Sean, did I say your last name correctly? <laughs> of course. Yes, sir, you did. <laughs> we met, oh my goodness, five years ago, four years ago, working for Disney Cruise Line. Um, you were my leader, and I was in, uh, we were doing uh, main stage entertainment. And I yep. remember vividly some of your fantastic leadership methods. Uh, everything from staying uh, emotional, emotionally neutral in situations to dodging and dip ducking and diving and dodging through constant changes that would most often leave people upset, yet you would remain positive. I think these are some incredible, incredible qualities of a leader um, anywhere. And I want to touch on that, and I want to touch on everything else going on. We're going to talk about Disney and all of it. Um, but if, if you would, for me, take it back to the beginning of time for Sean Bliznick. What was your entertainment dreams growing up? I think perhaps, first of all, thank you for <laughs> saying those nice things. We'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. But um, I, I, think, uh, I think perhaps, not to sound too cliche, that I shared as, uh, as an entertainment person, kind of shared that dream that maybe most young people did watching TV and seeing shows and experiencing live theater and thinking one day I'm going to be on that stage. And I'm nearly certain by most all accounts that a young pre-teenager, Sean Bliznick, imagining accepting some version of a Tony Award. And I think maybe many of us, always, <laughs> those of us in the arts thought that, thought that this is amazing. Like, I think it's that shift of realization that one, it's fun to do. Yes, it takes incredible skill, but this could be a job. Like, people will pay me to do this, to have fun, to be these characters, to bring this level of joy. And I think that's sort of a, a weird realization you get to where, and I think I have hopefully followed that in my adult professional life, that I continue to do things that bring joy and people happily pay you to bring joy to others. And I think that's a unique space. So I think I started there and I was initially, I performed in high school and performed in college and did summer stock. Uh, and then did some local professional theater. And then in that moment, I recall both in Summerstock, uh, I was probably very vividly doing a production of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas <laughs> and having, <laughs> having cowboy boots on and then being taught to tap dance uh, for the Aggie song and thinking, man, I really enjoy this, but the other people that share this stage with me are significantly better at it. And I think there's an element of self-awareness that comes, I hope to play for artists where you're like, I love this. I love this in a way that I have not loved anything else, but clearly I don't bring the best of me in this capacity. Um, and so I performed for a couple more years doing sightings, but then slowly during that time made the transition to sort of behind the scenes to starting to stage manage and to starting to direct and created a nonprofit community theater and, and just realized, okay, where am I, where are my skills and my passions for this better set? they're better set kind of off the stage. And, you know, occasionally now you sit back and I see great performances or I see audition calls for local stuff, and I'm like, oh, I would love to be in that show. I would love to play that character. And you're like, no, I've sort of 
not too distant from that path, but I think I've found a path that serves me and fulfills my kind of artist core and also has found a way to give back to others in a way that's, you know, better than them being that, you know, you can clearly tell that one guy on the far left, he missed three steps. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I'm grateful to have sort of uh, discovered that. And then ultimately my professional career has been sort of behind the scenes and stage managing and production managing and, and continue to do that work. And then that has blended to education and arts education. So it sort of has that sort of from little boy to where we are now, I guess. Yeah. What did, what did your parents teach you about work ethic? I think what's interesting, uh, both of my parents, I'm the first one in my family to have any type of collegiate education. So my parents both were blue collar, uh, worked kind of what would be typically seen as kind of the hourly laborer's job um, in retail and construction. And, and so the work at home as a kid was just like, you just bust, you bust your butt, man. You do what you can to provide for your family and you do it in any capacity. Uh, so I feel like I've never been, I think that skill has taught me one, you just continue to work for the things you want. Uh, and eventually you hope that someone's like, this is a hard worker and a talented person. Let's give them an opportunity. And I hope that lightning strikes for most of us in that capacity. But at the same time, I think I've never been afraid of a job. I've never have felt like, man, this, this job is really, I, I, you know, I deserve better. I'm, I'm more qualified that it's like, is this something that could get me to the realized path? And fine, let's do it. And I think that was really instilled from them as a young age. You just keep going and going. And then when I finally went to college, and I'm sort of the unique thing that one have had not had college uh, members, degree holding members in my family, and then I subsequently went to college three times and have three different degrees. So I really said, hey, no one did it before. I'm going to collect them all for everybody, right? <laughs> and um, so there was really this idea that, hey, this is this is a different path. I always really loved school as a young student and loved learning and loved being exposed to sort of, man, I've never really thought about that before. That's super interesting. And that just carried on. So there was a joy of being in school. The joy is not the student loans that still follow me along, but the joy of the experience. And then just being like, okay, I worked really hard for that thing. And that is a component of my identity, right? Like that's a piece of who I am, but there are other pieces that make me up. And some of them are, you know, just working in this local space. And I, and I really feel that their ethic kind of brought me, I sort of grew up in the community theater realm initially before kind of making a way to getting paid to do that. What I realized, Oh man, people give you 50 bucks for this eight week job. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of sit there and you go, and I, and I think growing up through like high school and college and then community theater, you realize, man, everybody, everybody has a part to play and everybody can pick up a nail and everybody can pick up a dustbin and everybody can move a prop unless, unless you're told not to. Right. right. And all of those things. And I, and, and I think that really translates well into the professional realm and the other professionals that I have worked with that have similar backgrounds, obviously no one's identical, but have come up through like, Hey, yeah, I worked in my high school theater and I worked at, we had a local community theater at our church or in our town or, you know, whatever the case may be. And yeah, I learned all sorts of different roles. So I know what a light looks like and I know not to step here and I know not to touch that. And I, and I think that just broadens. And I think that's probably why ultimately I found myself in the more kind of holistic as opposed to just being an actor or a performer, but sort of being behind the scenes and having purview of the entire process and how all the pieces worked there. There is great joy for me. And I still really think to this day, I really love the rehearsal process 
and the kind of tech week and the opening night. And then, you know, it opens and you watch the show and it, it's great. And you go see it the next week and it's great and it runs for however long. And I think there's an energy of that, but I really find the enjoyment and that sort of like the whole process getting up to that night when you're in front of an audience. And then you're like, okay, let's go into the next process, project where I can have those six, seven, four, or, you know, 14 days in the case of our collective cruise line experience, right? We're going to do all these shows and we have two weeks to do it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think all of that stuff made that possible, made my transition into that type of work at that pace possible. What are your three degrees in? So my undergraduate degree is in English literature and secondary education. And after that, I had a brief, and it's come back. I say brief, but I started my initial first real job, real big boy adult job, was as a high school English and theater teacher. So that's where I started. Uh, And I did that for a little bit of time. And then what I found was at the time I was in New England, and uh, but I was vacationing often in central Florida. Um, and then I ultimately decided maybe I would actually save money if I just worked for Disney instead of always coming down to vacation here. And so literally put everything in sort of a U-Haul truck and drove down to central Florida without a job, had just signed a lease, but had, did not have the job anywhere yet with the dream and the hope of one day working for Disney. And with the idea in my mind, I had visited with a friend in high school and we're like, this would be cool. I would just sell popcorn on main street. Like it would be the coolest thing just to be selling popcorn on Main Street. And, of course, then you get here and you realize, okay, that's not going to pay all the bills. But there, you know, there is some, some way to do this. And so came down to do that and then ultimately took a little while to get into what was and still is a massive organization with multiple layers and uh, kind of worked in retail but then started teaching here in Central Florida. And during that time went and got my master's from the University of Central Florida in theater had initially gone because they had a musical theater program. I was like, yes, I want a master's in musical theater because I was directing at that time. I thought this makes sense. And their program at the time was really focused on performers. It was a musical theater program for performers. So I got steered into the MA path and really carved a journey there. And as you may or may not know, that it is a terminal degree, but it's like that and $1.50 will get you a coffee, right? It's not <laughs> quite the finish line. it's not quite the finish line so it's like so in that process as I was wrapping up my thesis my advisor and some other professors recommend okay now what are you going to go do for your PhD Um, and I looked at a couple schools and ultimately got my PhD in theater for young audiences and women and gender studies uh, from Arizona State University so went out to Tempe and spent uh, four years and had a really great positive experience out in the desert kind of really grew to enjoy that area and loved my colleagues and uh, enjoyed the university yeah. and then came back to Florida and then kind of reinvented myself into full-time Disney life uh, here on land initially, uh, working in entertainment in the parks. And then I worked for many years for the Disney Institute and then left the Disney Institute to come meet up with you uh, at Disney Cruise Line uh, and then have come back to land. And then ironically have returned Full circle, uh, have been seasonal with Disney and have been working now full time again at the Rosen School of Hospitality Management, which is part of UCF, teaching in the entertainment management degree track. So have gone back to one of my alma maters to be uh, kind of a full time assistant professor with them. Wow, nonstop. <laughs> That's so much. I um, I want to talk about your time with Disney, um, particularly sure. with Cruise Line. Um, okay. How did that come about? Was that, did you seek that out? Did they seek you out? Was that mutual? It's, it's, it's really interesting. So I think one of the things that I have realized both in life and specifically at Disney is I've never said 
no to what seemed like a feasible opportunity, right? Someone, you have to believe, and I have firmly believe that my leaders and the other people that I worked with always sort of had an eye on what you were doing in that role and what, what would be your next role, right? What would be the next thing you would go ahead and do? And, and so I always was open to that. And I loved, at the time that I was at the Disney Institute, it was like the perfect blend. It was the teaching side of me, and I was teaching things that were Disney, which I loved. So it was like, I'm on stage, I traveled, all, I traveled the world for Disney Institute at that time, perform, uh, performing, it felt like a performance, but presenting, right, teaching, teaching classes on guest service and creativity and brand and leadership and all the things that, you know, guests and people from around the world came from businesses that were like, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you get people to always smile? How do you get people to be helpful? Uh, you know, how can you do this with a limited budget? I run a small business in a small town. And it was really exciting. And what I found during that time, it was intellectually stimulating. It was awesome to do. I got to travel the world. But the piece of that that I was missing was I just really came to miss being in live entertainment. So it was not an entertainment line of business, right? It lived somewhere else. While we, what we were doing, I certainly could pass a red face test and say, is certainly a component of entertainment from the prepping of the room to setting it up to music to decoration, like all of the elements of how we think about entertainment were there, but it just wasn't. Right. And so just right. started to sort of inquire and, um, and people said, oh, well, have you ever thought, met with a couple of leaders that I knew before, and they said, have you ever thought about cruise line? And I was like, man, I love the cruise line. I've been on whatever, 20, 20 cruises. We go all the time. It's awesome. I've seen the world on Disney cruise ships, like love the entertainment and still to this day would emphatically say that, that I think Disney Cruise Line Live Entertainment is really a hallmark for the Walt Disney Company, aside from Disney Theatrical. When we talk about like consumable entertainment that's done in 45-minute chunks for mass audiences, I still think DCL has created some of the finest uh, and some of the highest quality. And so I was like, that would be super cool. And as is life, right, you get told, well, send an email to this person right. who will then set up a time with you and Ultimately, at the time, and I don't know if you worked with her or not, I don't remember when she left, but they said, go meet with Rachel Quinn, who was a cruise director um, for the ships for many years, and then came and, and came, and at the time I met with her, and this is many years ago, she was the general manager of entertainment over at Animal Kingdom. And they said, just set up some time. I'm sure she'd love to talk to her. So I went over and sat in her office, and we just had this lovely conversation. I'd never met her before. I had remember seeing her from a distance as a guest on Disney Cruise Line, you know, doing the cruise director thing, and uh, being like, yeah, I, you know, someone suggested it. My entire background, entertainment, my degrees are in entertainment, like all of this stuff. I'm doing this really cool thing now. But, yeah, sure, I'm sort of interested. And uh, she created a pathway to essentially the HR team at Disney Cruise Line where they said, okay, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to interview you. We're going to have you fill out an application. And then, you know, the relaxed moment of being like, we don't need any stage managers right now. And you can see where this is going. You've lived on the ships. You know what I'm going to say next. Like, don't worry about it. We're fully staffed, right? right, right <laughs> we have right. all the people we could possibly, we, we have all the people we could possibly need and, and none of them are going anywhere. So they're like, we're not even going to turn your application live until the following like calendar year. And this was like August, September. I interviewed and got, like, hey, yes, you could absolutely be a, cruise, uh, a stage manager on the ships, but we don't need anybody. In January, we'll sort of green light your application. And I was like, fantastic. Not a problem. Great. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. It sounds super cool. And I had worked with some stage managers in the parks that had been on the ships and had come back, so I had an opportunity to talk with them about it. 
And uh, literally, I remember delivering. I was teaching a Disney Institute program at the Contemporary Resort, and it was a break, and my phone rings, and it's, you know, it's, it sounds like this very Hollywood moment, right? The phone rings, and you pick it up, and you're like, oh, you know, you're like, oh, hello, and, you know, and they're like, hey, this is, you know, so-and-so with, um, with casting over at Disney Cruise Line, and I have a position to offer you. And I was like, I just talked to someone, and they said there were no positions. And, yeah, well, they changed. Some people didn't take the contract, right? And they're like, yeah, we have a position offer. I'm like, okay, all right, so this must be, like, months out. And they're like, no, can you, you know, can you be ready to go, like, September 15th? And I'm like, that's in, like, a month. And they're, so we went from, hey, don't worry about it, we don't have a job, to are you ready to go? And I think this goes back to how I started this very long answer to a very direct question, <laughs> which was, you know, I, I have always been open and said, okay, so what I'm doing now is super cool, and I loved it, and here's this rare, really unique opportunity to go ahead and, you know, live on a cruise ship, which I had not done. Like, that wasn't an experience I had, but to at least know that I could support entertainment I was familiar with. And I think what relaxed me in making this decision, I was like, okay, so what's the known entity here? The known entity is I know the Disney piece. I know what we're going to be expected to ask to do. I have seen these shows. I know what these shows look like. Uh, you know, I have an idea of what the ship size and scale and where it goes. So what's the piece I don't know? I know squat about maritime, right? I don't know anything about that. have no idea, no idea what I'm going to be asked to do, what, what funny life vest I'm going to be asked to wear. But at least I can balance the known versus the unknown. And it, and, and it was a calculated risk, like most things, to say, okay, let's go do this. And so I did and started with the, the Disney Wonder um, on the Disney Wonder first as stage manager, and then made a transition to the Disney Fantasy, which is where you and I met as stage manager on the Fantasy, which I loved. And you guys are a great yeah. cast and have really fond. I, I really, uh, I'll come back to that. Let me close the loop. So uh, Disney Fantasy, and then had the opportunity to be promoted and moved into assistant cruise director and moved to the Disney Dream. Um, and then after the Disney Dream, uh, for the first time in my like adult life, I had to make a decision that was about personal well-being and not professional well-being. And I had two major sort of life changes happen while I was on the ship that just needed to be addressed, and I couldn't address them from the Bahamas. And um, so I needed to do that at home, and so made the decision to come back to land. Um, and then, you know, other paths have emerged and have gone, gone back to Disney, and I'm teaching and stuff like that. Disney Cruise Line, hands down, when I think of my, at this point, just about 18-year Disney career, uh, it doesn't feel, it, the interesting thing about Disney, it feels like I've been there for like six months, been 18 years, and um, I, I think Disney Cruise Line is by, hands down, the highlight, and I would actively, and the irony of uh, a pandemic and business changes is I was set to meet, I had a meeting on the calendar. I was going back to meet with the team at Disney Cruise Line to really say, I would love to come back. I left for reasons that will be on my control. And I, my dream had always been, and I was on that path to cruise director, obviously, right. being having the opportunity to do uh, assistant cruise director. And I'm like, that just seems like the coolest blending of all the things, like being able to be in a leadership capacity for entertainment that's delivering high-class entertainment for guests from around the world. Sign me up, right? Like, that sounded like the perfect thing. And then, ironically, we were exchanging emails, and it was like, oh, we're going to close for two weeks. You know, the ships are going to be uh, docked for two weeks. Why don't we meet after these two weeks? And little did anyone or all of us know that that two weeks would now turn into seven, eight, nine months and beyond right. um, in terms of, like, just sort of getting back to regular life. 
so there's still an inkling and my wife and I <laughs> talk about it now. We're like, well, maybe there's still a day when uh, the world returns to normal and opportunities uh, reopen at the cruise line. And, you know, we spend, <laughs> we spend the next X amount of years sailing the world, which would be, you know, a okay as non, as I like to say, as non breeders, right. As, as non uh, child bearers, <laughs> we have the flexibility, you know, we have the flexibility of, to professional adults to be like, yeah, that's totally cool. We could do that with our life. And that would be a super cool, you know, thing to experience. I, I, so there, I don't remember where we started, but that's where we are now, Clay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I love about these conversations. And thank you for being so open to it. Cause it just like, it makes for a really, really interesting conversation. I want to talk about leadership. And okay. I'm sure we can talk about it, you know, with the current leadership of the pandemic, <laughs> current leadership, but we'll just sure. start, we'll start with, um, your leadership, what you okay. learned about leadership and key traits of a good leader that you like to emulate. All right. Well, I think, um, I think what I have found the two of the qualities, I will say that great leadership is values based. I say that to my students now, and I believe that to be true. And I use that as a compass to make my own decisions. The decisions we make as leaders, as people, as colleagues, as family members, are value-based. I do something, I spend time with you because we stay in the share values, I marry you because we stay the share the same values, right? right? I work in a place with other colleagues because we share the same values. And I think I knew that intuitively with my consistent, many years ago, 21-year-old Sean being drawn to this magic in Central Florida. Like, what, what was it that was actually drawing me? And, it, and I think the draw was, this is an organization that shares a belief structure that says, yes, we'll work hard. We're going to strive for, you know, perfection and settle for excellence, right? And just deliver the highest quality thing. And I'm like, that's the life I live now. So, yes, I want to be a part of that. So I, I think people do that from a job perspective. And I think if you would ask anyone that was unhappy at a job or left a job, if we would have a cup of coffee or a cognac or something in between, right? I think what we would find is they left or were unhappy because there was a values misalignment, right? They believed in honesty and their leader didn't, or their manager didn't, or the organization was sketchy or whatever, you know, whatever the combination. And I think as we realize that as we go through careers, we just seek out stuff that is aligned because at the end of the day, you're a human being, you're going to go home to your house and you're going to wrestle with these things that are misalignments. And at some point it, eats on you physically, it eats on you mentally, and then you just separate yourself from the pack. Now, that being said, that larger idea of that, I think the two things that have really held true, and uh, you know, you, you said those comments unsolicited, and I, I'm seeing them reflected in what I'm now, is that I have always hopefully tried to consistently develop a level of self-awareness. I think all of us benefit from that. Like, where and how do I function in this space? Not so much how is my body taking up space in this room, but what does my energy bring to this space? How does my energy impact other people? How do other people view that? And I think a lot of times we're not aware of that. And it's, it's not like you just flip a switch and, hey, look, I'm self-aware now. I know what's going on. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But I think we have to demand of ourselves to be conscious, right, to be engaged in those moments and be like, okay, what is going on here? Clearly I said something funny or something was off. And I think the self-awareness for me is directly connected to empathy. And, you know, it, it is a life journey to understand the shift from sympathy to empathy, right? Like, oh, I feel bad for you. It's not, no, no, it's not about feeling bad for me, right? It's about 
man, what does this feel like to be me? Yeah. And I may or may not have ever had those experiences. And I think uh, that has done well. And what was interesting, not so much uh, on the ships, but on land, many times in my Disney career, I had led teams or worked with teams that were character performers. Um, well, I've never been a character performer, right, for Disney. My very secret sideline, my very first job ever was at Chuck E. Cheese, and I did have a stint as a character performer, but that's besides the point. Right, at 15 and a half, 15 and a half you years old. You were very good friends. Very good friends with Chuck, right, on occasion. And, um, and so there's a lot. I, I think that population, which is a massive population of Disney's workforce and is in huge demand of guests, they come because they're going to meet these characters, these beloved characters. Oh, yeah. And I think it's hard to stand in front of that team and be like, yeah, I, was, I never did this. I have no idea what you guys are going through, and I don't care. And there are plenty <laughs> of leaders that fit, you know, and right. there are plenty of leaders that fit that bill, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that are just like, hey, look, you just got to get out there and do it. But I don't think that's the way, and, and I, I think I've always been, okay, so let me listen to you, tell me what's going wrong, and I found this incredibly helpful and truthful in a cruise line environment when we are living in a tuna can, right? We are all in this together, literally. Like, there is no, you have a bad day, and then go home, and, you know, hey, heck, let's go out tonight, let's grab a nice dinner, let's just have a glass of wine and sit back. That doesn't exist, right? I mean, you know that firsthand. None of that exists. So it's like we live together, we work together, we care for each other together, and I think that becomes an immediate need to be like, okay, tell me what's going on here. And I can remember, I think that the uh, empathy and self-awareness thing happened very young. I used to kind of, you won't be surprised by this, but there was a program at the time called uh, Summer Bridge, uh, which has now changed its name to Breakthrough. And it's an organization that was focused on helping at the time, we probably used the phrase inner city, but just less disadvantaged youth to prepare them for upper level, for high school and hopefully for college. So when I was in high school, I would spend my summers teaching fifth and sixth graders. Um, wow. You know, what, what crazy kid, what do you do? So I would spend my summer doing that. And I remember, and, and they, the people they hired, I was lucky that it happened to be literally down the street from my house in my hometown, but they brought in teachers that were high school and college students from around the country. And so I had a really nice opportunity of meeting people. Yeah. And I remember, and sharing it won't, the, the what, what was said is irrelevant, but I remember growing up in my household, phrases would just be thrown around because of grandparents or, you know, just things that you didn't know as a, a kid. And I remember just throwing those out one day in a faculty lounge and another, another guy, a guy named Josh from Texas, right, uh, stopped me and took the opportunity to say, do you know what, you know, do you know what that, that means? Have, have you heard, now this is like 16 and a half year old Sean, right? Like, right. no, but you know, we use this all the time to describe going around our neighborhood and this and that. No one's taking the time to tell me what it meant. And he says, well, this is what it means. Like, this is the derivative of that term. And it's actually a bit of, it could be construed as a bit offensive to certain organizations or certain groups of people. And I was like, yeah. holy cow, like what? How is that possible? And that has stuck with me now at this point, like 30 years later, to be like, okay, all right, be, be aware, drive some level of awareness. And I'm grateful still to this day, and he and I had that conversation after this experience happened, you know, in 1995, right, to say, you know, thank you. There were other ways he could have responded to that, right? There are other things he could have said or done that would not have been productive for either one of us, but took the opportunity to say, let's have a conversation because I'm pretty sure you don't know the roots of that, so I'm going to lead with that. 
educate you on the roots, show you why it's important to be aware of these things. And, and I'm so forever grateful for that and say, oh, that drives all the other foundation of how I engage with other people, right? We have no idea, you know, we, in all of these experiences, when I think of you guys all coming on together, right, you know, 24 people on the fantasy all arriving on day one from all over really the world, right, with different experiences coming to deliver a shared experience, it's impossible for me to know everyone's, like, where is everybody in their life? Right. When I was on the wonder, I definitely remember feeling more like a dad, not in a bad way, but doing some offering some dad like advice to just balancing living on a ship and what living on a ship can do and being like, you know, I guess it's okay. We're only at that time. We're probably only like seven or eight years in chronological age difference from some of those some of the people that came, but it was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to share something I'm seeing that you're not seeing and you can make whatever choice you want, but I don't want you to get hurt in the end or be upset uh, or whatever the case may be. It's, you know, as you know, cruise life is like getting shot out of a cannon, yeah. right? In many yeah. cases, some of the performance we get are, it's their first time away from home. Oh, yeah. It's their first time living on their own. They have, a, they have, they're they getting paid to be a professional singer, dancer, actor, like minds are blown, right? And that, and that, and then you have the life of living in an environment where everybody knows these 24 people are arriving on this day. Right? So yeah. it, it's sort of like Kate Winslet when she walks down, walks up to the Titanic, right? Like her hat <laughs> tips back and that's her face. And, she looks and up. <laughs> you know, and, everybody, and everybody's looking over the edge of the ship like, oh, who's here? What, what, what's here? Right. Um, and so I, I, I think it's important. I, I, I think that idea of being values anchored, being anchored to values and how you make decisions, how you live your life. And then I'm constantly working on my own self-awareness and making sure that I'm leading with empathy. And I think all the other stuff falls into place, the rules, the processes, the operation, all the other things will fall into place. If you remember that we're, it's people dealing people, right? I, yes, we were calling shows and yes, I, I laugh at how small, I feel like I probably said that in some company meetings, like the smallest part of my day as a stage manager on a cruise ship was that 50 minutes we all spent, you know, well, I doing guess 50 minutes dinner, then 50 minutes, right? Like doing the actual show, like yeah. that two hours every night was the smallest part of my day. The rest of my day was, you know, doing other stuff, but really just being a human to other people, like trying to meet, like I'm homesick, I'm upset, I don't have Wi-Fi, my phone doesn't work, I can't get Nutella, right? Like all the, the, all the things are like at work. And that was, you know, 85% of my day was managing that. So, because I know that if all of you were happy and healthy, then you're going to deliver the best possible show that night. But I could have led by screaming and saying, get out there and do a good show. And I don't care that you're unhappy or you're homesick or you miss your family or miss your boyfriend or, you know, whatever the scenario, because you were hired to do a job and I have your contract and the contract says you'll do this job. And I just think that's just a horrific. And I have worked with those colleagues. I've worked with leaders who function like that. And that just, it's so grating to them personally. It's grating to you as an individual. And I'm just like, why? What, what do we get with this? We get nothing from that. Uh, but rather, let me lead as being a human being in the same situation with a similar role as you are, and let's figure out everything else in between. And I think that has been successful. Very. Um, the value-based uh, leadership that you brought up is so, so true. You know, I was, I was having a moment thinking about that while you're speaking and the idea that, yeah, you know, when you leave a company, any company, it's because the values don't align, you know, with them, yeah. with you or you with them mutually, whatever. So I think that's, I think that's really fantastic. I also love the story you shared with the, you know, being 16 and being, you know, educated on something that you just weren't educated on 
you know, at home. You just didn't know about it until you knew about it. And that right, exactly. is a key moment of, you know, growing self-awareness. I'm curious, where else do you get your self-awareness from? Meaning, did you consistently from that moment on think self-awarenessly? Because I know we talked about it's not a switch, you don't turn it on. But I right. do think, you know, self-awareness is definitely cognitive. It's right in the front of the brain. You have to think about it. You know, how am I coming off in this moment? So I'm curious, is there any other ways in which you cultivated it? I think uh, a lot of it after that, I think what the switch that that turned on is that you suddenly, um, I think generally we as human beings listen to respond, right? We hear stuff and we're, we're calculating an answer and we're trying to come up with an answer while someone else is speaking, right? We're not... Uh, and I think the shift is that really got me to listen to comprehend, right? Listen to understand. So really dialing in to either what an individual was saying to me as an individual or just being aware in the room, like what is being said in this group of six or eight people and challenging myself to be like, you know, as a regular social person, like, do I have to add something to this? Like, I feel that now in faculty meetings, like there are all, there's always the one person that has to say something every faculty meeting, whether or not it adds value. And that's fine. I have no issue with that. Like that's them. But I think what comes into this is saying, okay, well, do I need to add anything to this conversation or is it just being an observer and absorbing what's happening in the room enough? And I think that great over time takes great discipline because do I have an opinion about everything? Sure. Do we all? Absolutely. <laughs> right? right. And so there's a certain, there's a certain relative restraint that comes out to say, okay, no, I, I have nothing else to add to this conversation today. I've just enjoyed being able to hear the conversation and then assimilate that for myself. And so I think it really, what really got done is it, it, it really expounded the shift in listening. Because I think it's often that you're always, you know, we're, we're in a world that goes a thousand miles an hour, maybe less so right now, but it's starting to ramp back up again, right? right, right. And you're just constantly listening to be like, yes, 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 no, 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 yes, 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 yes. Okay. But instead, no, let me actually listen to what you're saying. And then let me ask some clarifying questions. So I heard you say that. Is that correct? And obviously that has, that I think has served me well with my student population as well. And, you know, they, I can't even imagine, I mean, this semester is nearly completely online. And these, I say kids, not uh, pejoratively, but like these guys and gals are, are dealing with stuff that no one anticipated. And they're all actively working to degrees in the hospitality industry, which is closed. So I can't imagine, right, <laughs> right like what the investment in self and time, and especially those that are graduating in the spring, is causing. So when they send me a note, it's like, yes, this is an email from a human. Am I getting questions about like, I just lost track of time this week and that assignment is going to be late. Can I s still send it to you? And you know what my answer is hundred percent of the time? Yes. Because me telling, you no, you getting upset, you getting a zero on assignment, nothing has benefited from that. Now there are, there are scenarios in which you say, Hey, look, you don't get to submit in some uh, assignment from week one and week 16. Like let's have some accountability and some responsibility. Sure. Sure. But I have sure. such great, I have such, and I acknowledge that with them. Those that I, I had one last week that actually just flat out said, time this week got away from me, and I know that, and I am going to do better, but I did do these. Can I send them to you? And I'm like, that is like 100% the right approach, right? Yeah. And like, yes, you know what? You've acknowledged it. You know you screwed up. I don't have to belittle you by telling you you screwed up. 
send me the assignment. You took the time to do it. I'm going to take the time to read it and give you feedback. And then we're both going to move forward. Why? Because we're trying to set you up to be professionals. And this is how professionals engage. And I, I, I just think that's so important with just engaging with people as people. And so I, I do think that, and I, I, to your point, I also think that like self-awareness is a lifelong thing. You know, I remember with Tra uh, Travis was your cast, wasn't he? Was it you? Were you and Travis in the same cast? No. Travis Nunes? No. All right. So then the problem is everything blends in my head. Like I know. When you stay on a ship for a while. I can't remember whether or not we worked together in F7 or 9. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, which, which, which one was it? Right. And, and, and so a more recent example, I remember making a funny joke with him uh, backstage. We were just talking about, just randomly talking about stuff in between. And I made an off-the-cuff joke. And then it uncomfortably sat with me during that entire show. Mm. And in the break, I went backstage and I sought him out and I said, hey, you know what? I need to apologize to you because in that moment, I don't know how you perceived it, but I'm now seeing that it could be perceived multiple ways. And that was not my intention. Right. And, and it, it, that's wildly difficult for any human to do, to be like, man, I just dropped the ball there. I suck. Uh, well, maybe nobody noticed and I'm not going to say anything like, it, it just right. did not sit well, that whole show. And I was like, you know what, Sean, you are an adult. You're an adult professional. So is he. You need to own what you said, whether or not. And it was the slightest thing, but as it fermented more and more in my head, I was like, man, that's, that's not the right, that wasn't the intent. That's not what I meant to imply. That's not, I'm going to go, I'm going to go own that, right? I'm going to take ownership of that. I'm not going to do it again. And I'm going to make sure the relationship I have with this other performer, which was positive, stays that way, right? And that, you know, we understand that we can call each other out when stuff happens. And he was super, as you can imagine, like one didn't even had, didn't even had, had not thought twice about what was said first. Yeah. And then second did not construe it in that manner at all. And, and I don't, I wouldn't describe that as like, now I'm suddenly hyper aware. No, no, I'm just, Hey, this, this thing happened. You could have thought this, you could have thought that I want to make sure you knew that this is where it was coming from. And I just think, then you go back and I can sleep at night and everybody's cool and we can have lunch and deck nine later in the week. You know what I mean? Like right, right. all the things, all the things return to normal. And that's because, you know, there's just an understanding of I was quick. I wasn't listening to myself. I didn't listen to you. And now I want to own that moment. You're bringing up, you know, a really great point of communication because self-awareness, I think obviously as your self-awareness goes up, I think you become a better communicator, you know, which is given the last, you know, half hour of this conversation is evident. <laughs> Has there been any particular uh, moments in time or lessons learned on communication that have made you a better communicator? I think anytime I've realized to be a better communicator, I think it's what we learn from our colleagues, our, our, either our bosses, our managers, our leaders. Right. that don't do things well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have felt, it, it's weird because, and maybe it's just how I process information. When I work with those, and most of my Disney career has been filled with amazing bosses, and you just kind of like chug along, like you're completely in sync, right? You're like, yes, my boss has my back. They would support this decision. I'm going to send them a quick text or drop an email or drop a quick call and let them know what happened today. And we all move forward, focused on the same end goal. And I think that's when you realize oh, this really functions well. And I think in all the examples that I can think of quote-unquote poor leadership, and I've had one or two really miserable human beings 
that somehow got into senior levels of leadership at Disney, and it happens. You know, there's 80,000 people that work there. A couple of bad uh, eggs are going to get through somehow, right. right? And it's like, okay, so what was the problem in this situation? It was, one, that they, they, they weren't, for me, some of the things we've talked about, right? They weren't leading from shared values that we were all in focus together. They were unaware of themselves and, you know, and how what they said mattered to other people, especially from a leadership position. Uh, and their communication, to your point, to get to the point at hand, really, is was poor. It just was unclear. And there'd be lots of conversations. Well, you, don't you know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. It's impossible for me to know what you mean because I left my mind-reading ball at home. <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, it's, that's impossible. Right. You need to be explicit. You need to say, okay, let me take a minute. So this is what I'm looking for. Okay, great. All right. Now that you figured that out, do you know how to do that? Yes, great. I know how to do that. Or if you don't know how to do that and you start this project or this process or this task, you know, just come get me and we'll walk through it together and then you'll know for the next time. And what I realized is that those breakdowns are nearly always breakdowns in communication, right? Where I anticipated something and told it to someone that didn't happen. And I think why this happens, one of the reasons this happens is generally higher up in organizations, you get more information, right? So as, as a stage manager, certainly probably the technical production manager and certainly the cruise director know more than I do when something happens initially, right? Unless it's a show thing and then I know more and they're asking me for questions, right? right. And so then they have, they have the time to sort of like sit with this information, process this information, whether it's a process change or a policy change, when I think about it, I think you probably were gone by them, but when you think about like when main stage performers get access to the guest gym, right? And that started yeah. to happen. And then subsequently access to the quick service restaurants, right? That was a complete process change. Well, as a senior leader, I've probably been sitting with that knowledge for a while. And now it's my time to disseminate that knowledge to other people and how I do it matters. Of course. And I think often when people, when people have information for a long time, they've had time to internalize it. And so now I can just quickly get up and in a five-second five speech, say, oh, guys, this is happening. Thanks. Okay, bye. Because, uh, because I've had time with it. I know what it means. But you've just shared it with, you know, in many cases, 30 people are hearing it for the first time. They have no idea what it means. They have no time with the information. They have no time to internalize it. And there's probably lots of questions. So I think what happens is an assumption of, well, I know it. I told you about it. So how don't you know it? Right. Well, we, we didn't get the same level of knowledge at the same time, right? And then people process information differently. So I think often, and I think maybe early on in my career that then this applied to stage management was that teaching very quickly teach you, you're going to repeat the same thing about 10,000 times, especially teaching high school students, right? right. Um, you're going to say the same thing. And I have always challenged myself, and I do it now teaching college students. So I'll say something in class and it's in the syllabus and it's in the, you know, the keynote slides, and then I'll get an email asking literally the same question that I've explained in three different formats. Now, maybe at home I say, oh, my God, again, I have to tell this, but what is my response out? Okay, let me pretend like you're asking for the first time so that you understand it this time. And you just do it. And I think the same, that has to be the same of all forms of communication, even when I'm asked again. Uh, certainly, I remember doing those, like, welcome to the ship talks, like when you all get on board and we go through all the forms and all the things. Right. <laughs> those forms. Those forms in the early days were like super confusing. I need a form to do this. I need a form to do this. This is a triplicate sign sealed, you know, with a blood stamp, right? right. Like it's just crazy, <laughs> you know, crazy paperwork 
so that you can like step outside of your room, right? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. There, and, and I know that I certainly know that that is um, that is becoming less the case and is not atypical in the industry. I do know that certainly Disney has very specific expectations of their crew members and cast members, and that carries through and probably a little harder than it does for other cruise lines and, and kind of my experience in talking with other performers and other stage managers and stuff. Sure. But that's a lot to process. I, I literally have moved into a room that's not my room yet because for two weeks I'm going to stay in a different room until the other people leave and then I can have my room. I'm now doing 14-hour days and at the very end of the night I got the stage manager guy who I've just met who seems like he's okay, right? Now talking through a packet of 15 different forms of how I'm able to make sure that my family might be able to come visit or really... The forms were really, here's, here's all the things you need to do so you don't get in trouble or get fired. Well, that's a lot of pressure yeah. <laughs> right on day one. Like, yeah. welcome, everybody. <laughs> strap, uh, strap your belt on. Here we go. <laughs> right? Like, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of pressure to be able to do that. And I think, yes, I, I knew full well that I'm going to repeat this. I'm going to repeat this literally every time someone turns this form in. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Because I'm listening to you, but until I have to fill out that form for my family or for my request, I don't really understand how it works. And then I'm going to come ask you about it. And what's my answer going to be? Great. Let's sit down. Let's make sure we have all the information. And now you're good to go. Right. And, and I, just think, I just think it's true of all levels of communication. Like just being open to people that are going to ask. And they're not asking the question again because they weren't listening or because they're dumb. And that's generally the assumption that some leaders make, right? Oh, well, you weren't listening to me. No, I was listening to you, but I don't actually understand it because I've never had to do it before. And eight other things were happening at the same time. So now I can focus on this. So can you explain it to me? And the answer is absolutely. Let's sit down and let's talk about this. And I just think that's helpful. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.